Rise to Offend, a podcast that explores people who rose to offend in society and their legacy today. I'm your host, Petra Speich, and this week we continue the story of arguably the worst sports franchise in history with the most devoted fan base, the NFL's 1999 expansion version of the Cleveland Browns. Scientifically proven to be statistically worse than possible in a professional sports organization and going through 30 different quarterbacks playing eight head coaches, nine general managers, three different owners, and finding ways to lose that has never graced the NFL before. At this point, after being in the league for seven seasons and one playoff appearance, currently in 2006 with coach Romeo Cornell and starting quarterback Charlie Fry, the team is attempting to become contenders. Died at my Tim Couch, Dougie P, Phillies coach, Tim Couch back again, then they drafted Spurgeon win. Kelly Holcomb, Luke McCown, Jeff Garcia came to town, Gilbert, Charlie Fry, all of them went bye-bye. Anderson and Brady Quinn, lots of guys who didn't win, Ken Dorsey, Gradkowski, and we're halfway done. Jake DeLong, Colt McCoy, Seneca, unemployed, Thad Lewis, Weed in five win seasons. Austin Davis, Josh McCown, yes they've had two McCown, Shaw, Hoyer, Campbell, oh f- it's Manziel. Whitehurst, Kessler, RG3 on IR, and Curly, as I sing this song, they're gonna find another one. You can be their QB, but only free free. The Browns are a dumpster fire. You know the season's done, and they're in week one. Week one, 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 week one. The Browns are. And this week, joining me, as always, Brandon Gooch Hahn. So in 2006, the Browns, they ended the season 4-12. and And their starting quarterback, Charlie Fry, injured his wrists, which allowed another new quarterback, Derek Anderson, uh, to finish out the season. He played about the last four or five games. What could be scarier than the number of quarterbacks the Browns have gone through? If that makes you scream, you'll love the one-of-a-kind Halloween display we found in North Ridgeville. Denise Sorella takes us there. At the time of the year when neighborhoods are full of scarecrows, spiderwebs, and jack-o'-lanterns, here lies a frightening display of the Browns quarterback casualties over the years. There's not many that have lasted for a long time. The Tamadios happen to love Halloween and the Browns. My wife proposes the idea. What about a quarterback graveyard where we have all headstones? Close to two dozen gravestones later, this makeshift cemetery starts with Tim Couch, bears the names of more than one McCown. Yeah, we actually have Jay McCowan in front of his name, um, so that way they don't get confused. Um, But I think Luke McCowan played for... uh, a short period of time with us. At the rate the Browns have been going, the biggest question is, who's going to be laid to rest next? And how much bigger is this place going to get? We have had offers from both neighbors to subcontract their yards out if we run out of space and they God, I hope not the near future. The hope is, though, that the Browns will start cremating their opponents and this Halloween display, as scary as it is, will stay the same. In North Ridgeville, Denise Zarella, Cleveland 19. Now, the quarterback situation, this is a similar thing that happened with Tim Couch and Kelly Holcomb. When you have your starter get injured, someone comes in, does a 
passable job, a good job. Do you continue on the next season with them or do you go back to your starter? Now, the Browns always seem to continue on with the, the second stringer, if I may. The hot hand. Yeah. Is that is that how you think it should be played in the NFL? Well, I think when you draft as badly as the Cleveland Browns have, then yeah, you have to ride the hot hand because what's the difference between the backup quarterback and your starting quarterback? Both of, both of them should have been backups anyway. So it's like... <laughs> So you just basically go with who's playing better at that moment. And at that moment, it was Derek Anderson. So in 2007 was a year that put the Browns back in contention. For the entirety of my life, it's been a comical atrocity. My name is Manny. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and I've been a Cleveland Browns fan for my whole life. There's been just no level of remote success for the entire time I've been alive. Derek Anderson was a starting quarterback for the majority of the season, and they actually ended up trading Charlie Fry to the Seahawks. His first start of the season, he threw five touchdown passes, tying a Browns record, and they beat the Bengals 51-45 to on that game. So he showed just a lot of gusto for fans. Everybody was excited because there was points getting put on the board, and he had an arm. I need you to come out and address the Cleveland media, the Cleveland Browns fans most importantly, and tell me what you're going to do to fix this, correct this for next year, and why. I should continue to support this product that is just playing out atrocious. They finished the regular season with 10-6, and six, the best record they've had as an expansion team, but the bad luck of the Browns did sneak up on them. Even with the 10-6 and six record, they did not get into the playoffs because they were tied for first place with their division rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they lost both of those division games in the regular season, so therefore the Pittsburgh Steelers moved into the playoffs the Cleveland Browns did not even and here's the sad truth like they could have been a wild card too but there were two other teams that had better better records than a 10 and 6 team it's the Browns it's the only way it happens if it's a if it's the damn Browns 10 and 6 means it's usually a lock that you make the playoffs for everybody except the Browns from the shotgun on third and nine throws near side of the field that pass deflected and intercepted it's Clayton Fedulum Unbelievable and disaster for Cleveland. And how often does a 10 and 6 regular season not get you in the playoffs? If you are wearing an orange helmet with a white stripe down the middle, that's when it works. That's when it <laughs> that's when it happens. That's when that's when that anomaly, that's when that uh rarity happens. And we didn't need no astroturf. Cause we play on real grass. Art Modell and the Steelers. Well, they can all suck my ass. If you hate people from Pittsburgh, watching ball in the rain. If you sit in the dog pound, if you have half a brain. If you like Jimmy Brown and Warfield, Leroy Kelly and the Toe, then you must be from Cleveland, or at least Ohio. Now, as an expansion team, you're about eight years in. The Browns had six pro bowlers that year returning. Coach Romeo Cornell was returning. Derek Anderson seemed to get the job done, and uh, fans were backing him at this point. However, they, they still drafted a QB, a quarterback that everybody saw as the future of the Browns, and that was Brady Quinn. With the 22nd pick in the NFL, 2000 NFL draft, the Cleveland Browns select 
Brady Quinn, quarterback, Notre Dame. So Brady Quinn does go to the team, coached by Romeo Cornell, who was the coordinator of New England on defense, but Charlie Weiss was the offensive coordinator, and they won Super Bowls. Sometimes stories take a long time to have a happy ending, but this truly became a bedtime story for Brady Quinn, but in the end, a pleasant one. Was that something that might have... Derek Anderson might have taken the wrong way, you think? Well, here's the deal. Derek Anderson had to keep Brady Quinn on the bench. Mm -hmm. So I I automatically think that if you're a backup quarterback, like a a journeyman like Derek Anderson was at the time, if you are like that, you basically just take any opportunity that you can get to get out on the field. That's where your mindset is, I think, because I think his entire career he's been told he's not going to be the starter. He's not going to be the MVP. He's just going to be one of these guys that's just good enough to fill in. Well, then they hire then they they draft this kid out of Notre Dame, Brady Quinn. He comes in, underwhelms, and then Derek Anderson just kind of took off and started doing much better. So I mean it's like and then when Brady Quinn did get his opportunities, he didn't look good. You've been in Cleveland. How, just explain to me how dysfunctional at what point, Brady, did you go, I can't it doesn't work here. You know, it's it's funny you ask that question because John Gruden before a Monday night game asked me that same question. He goes, Do you think you guys can beat the Baltimore Ravens tomorrow? And in my head, I knew I could never say maybe what I was really thinking. Uh, But I knew every single game it was an uphill battle because there was dysfunction at every level. Uh, As far as ownership, the front office, coaching staff, and even within the locker room, the players. There there wasn't necessarily uh, a sense or a feeling that everyone was all kind of headed in the same direction. And, and that's the toughest part uh, because you're talking about building a culture with an organization. Absolutely. It takes time. Despite all the six Pro Bowlers returning in 2008, the Browns, they went four and 12. They regressed. They had three QBs playing at the time. They had Derek Anderson, as we mentioned, a guy named Ken Dorsey, and then Brady Quinn. The team scored zero touchdowns in the last six games of the season. So no one was performing at the quarterback level. Come on, you're going to be a franchise quarterback. What are you grabbing stuff that? Why? What, what, what's going through your mind when you do that during games? Have you played football past yeah, high school? I quarterbacked and I sucked. Past high school? Well, no, not past high school. <clears throat> football is a violent, competitive game. Yeah. That's the way it was always meant to be played. Yeah. You're supposed to play it with an edge. Um, you're actually trying to impose your will on the other person to win. Right. There's things that come with it. No, my mistakes are are not things that need to be a franchise quarterback. But within football, there's a lot of trash talk, a lot of stuff that is not, um, you know, been made aware to everybody. I mean, there's stuff that's said on the field that you can't repeat no matter where you're at. Other controversies were happening that season as well. Like, for example, the GM, the general manager at the time, Phil Savage, he sent out an, an angry email to a fan pretty much telling him to go fuck off and cheer for Buffalo. And then that was uh, printed in Deadspin magazine. And then a number of players, including aforementioned Kellen Winslow Jr., they got staph infections, which raised questions about sanitation at their practice facilities. You know, and I wanted to play with toughness. You know, I did get beat up a lot that year. I think I got sacked 56 times or so in, in 15 starts. And But my thing was I'd continue to get up. I wanted to show the guys, I, I know we're struggling. We're not a very good football team, but I'm in this thing with all you guys. So when I got hit, I'd get up and I'd go back to huddle and I never... I never. I don't think I, I could. You guys ever remember an interview where I blamed the offensive line? No, oh no. No. So that that's one thing I really try to do is, you know, I wanted to put it all on me. You know, I wanted. I know the quarterback gets a lot of the blame when a team loses, and I wanted to stand up and accept that blame, even if it wasn't all my fault. And you know, but I think that's uh, you know part of your job as a quarterback, and I think guys respect you that way. 
what went wrong and how do you follow up a 10 and six season with six pro bowlers and then end up four and 12? I think when that happens, when one year you overperform and then the next year you come back down to earth. I mean, I just said it, you overperformed, you played harder, you played better than what everybody expected you to do. And at that time too, they had a brand new offensive coordinator. Nobody really knew what to game plan for. Well, then now you have a whole season under your belt. Now you know exactly where, where Derek Anderson likes to throw, what direction he likes to throw. It's a science how these coaches break down film. It literally is a science with how they do it. So the following year, you have a bunch of, you have a bunch of players that, yeah, yeah there's, there's six pro bowlers. They're talented. And granted, one of those pro bowlers was the quarterback, but it was just, it was just because they didn't have enough footage on them. And then when they got that footage, they ended up becoming the Browns again. I've been a Browns fan for 50 years. To the cardiac kids, birth of the dog pound, Bernie, team leaving, team coming back, and all the disappointment since. On game day, I put on my Brown shirt and root for my team. So I'm a Browns fan no more. After this season, so 10 and 6 one year, 4 and 12 the next year, owner Al Lerner, he fires GM Phil Savage for that email primarily. And Romeo Cornell, he fires the day after. So the Browns are starting over once again in 2009. Their badness has defied all logic. It's been a combination of management, coaching, awful drafting. I think the easiest way to pin down the Browns' struggles since they moved back in 1999 is an inability to find a quarterback. They have a tendency to try and get the flashy player that isn't going to succeed. Brady Quinn, Johnny Manziel, these were guys that were like big names in college football that like people were excited to see in the pros and really crashed and burned quickly. When is overhauling a team and the staff a mistake? And does Cleveland do this too quickly? It seems to be every two years, three years, sometimes one year that they're overhauling the office, the coaching staff. And a lot of it rides on the draft picks that don't work out for him, like Brady Quinn. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, when they drafted Brady Quinn, that set the franchise back horrendously because they traded up. They traded a first-round pick to get back into the first round to draft Brady Quinn, I believe 21st or 22nd overall. And then Brady Quinn came in and just looked like straight, hot garbage. No matter what team he was on, he looked like garbage. You know, and that, and again, if you and if you whiff on that many players, especially a quarterback, because if you let's just say you draft a great wide receiver and then you draft a dumpy ass quarterback, well, the wide receiver is going to look bad by comparison because he's got a terrible quarterback thrown to him. So now, now you just ruined two positions. I need you to come out and address the Cleveland Browns fans, the media. Second, the media. Who cares about the Cleveland Browns media? Like I said, they're scared to ask questions. But I need you to address those fans and assure me why I should root for this team next year. What are you going to do to make me want to watch this team next year instead of watching five games in the season? Oh, 0-5, same old Browns. And is that the head coach or the general manager? That's the general manager, and it's you know it's the general manager who's making a lot of the draft picks. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you have play, sometimes you have coaches that basically are the general manager too, and they they also they participate in the drafting process. But usually, it's the general manager. And again, like uh, I under I, I appreciate them for being aggressive but I think what happens is is when you're a team like that and you get too aggressive and you get too focused on trying to draft that one gem that quarterback that's going to lead your team to prosperity a lot of the times you see people reach and when they reach and like like what the Browns did they reached so hard to move back into the first round well it all fell apart the extra point are you kidding me are you kidding me it's not good 
He missed an extra point. He missed a field goal. He missed another extra point. And starting over again. So the Browns, they hire a new coach. This time his name is Eric Mangini. The first season that he coaches all the way through 2009, it is a 5-11 season. So it doesn't get much better. Now, another bad season in 2010, they overhaul the QB spot. So they got rid of Derek Anderson. They traded Brady Quinn to Denver for a running back by the name of Peyton Hillis. Peyton Hillis was the star of the game racking up his best stat line of the entire season. He would end the season with over a thousand yards on the ground and double digit touchdowns, giving a little bit of life back to a desperate fan base. For Madden the following year, to choose who was on the cover, they did a March Madness style bracket and it would be chosen by the fans. The championship round came down to Michael Vick and Peyton Hillis, two very different paths of getting to this point. Peyton Hillis was still in high school when Michael Vick was on the cover of Madden 04. You all know Hillis won, and he won by a landslide vote. This officially makes him the strangest cover athlete in the history of Madden. Now, the reason Peyton Hillis is brought up is despite going 5-11 in in 2010 once again on the second year for Eric Mangini, he, he has a breakout year, and he was selected to be on the cover of Madden NFL 12, the video game. Yeah. So, just... Do losing teams with records of 5-11 and 11 really have star power? Well, I think what happened in this situation was Peyton Hillis running back. He ended up running for over 1,000 yards. It wasn't anything special, but you know what he was? White. Mm. And they're like, oh, white running back. Put him on the cover of Madden. That's what it was. And then he ended up getting, uh, you know, and everybody voted, and the fans voted that cover in. Mm-hmm. And I personally think, and you know me, I'm not one of these guys that likes to drop that race card. Yeah. But, you kn- but there's no other explanation because the guy was mediocre at best, but he ran for over 1,000 yards. But he's huge and white. Looking into the next season, the Browns had something to build around. Peyton Hillis seemed like the perfect choice to represent the people of Cleveland. He was a hardworking, blue-collar kind of guy and would do whatever it took to help his football team win. Or at least that's what we thought. He made it clear he was ready to get paid. Since he was making less than a million dollars a year and after what he did the season before, I don't blame him. But sometimes money brings the worst out in people. Early in the season, Hillis missed a game because of strep throat. What? For a guy as tough as Hillis apparently was, that was odd. And when the Browns had nobody and they were desperate for him to return, he would play very limited action on dealing with an apparent lingering hamstring problem. Rumors began swirling. It seemed pretty obvious that Hillis was protesting the Browns. But he ran over a thousand yards on a bad team without a quarterback that can throw the ball. So he was having every play. He was he was running every single play. Yeah. That entire year. So I mean, yeah, he did get a thousand yards, but he probably had more carries than any other running back in the league. Yeah, yeah. He was he was uh like I said, he was like one of these big strong guys. He was not someone who had uh super fast lateral quickness. It was just a straight north-south runner. And that's why when I when I saw him getting voted in on the Madden cover, I was like, as much as I love seeing a Browns player on the cover of Madden, first off, I, I, I was a little upset because, again, it reminded me that, yeah, people did vote this guy in strictly because he's white. Yeah, sure, the Browns fans voted him in because he's a Browns player. Mm-hmm. But, most of the, but the other people that weren't Browns fans, they voted him just because he was a white running back. That was it. And then when you're on the Madden cover... That year that you're on the Madden cover, your career takes a shit. And so did his. And we never heard from him again. Hillis was refusing to play. And offensive tackle Joe Thomas didn't hold back. Quote, it was a terrible distraction. 
he crippled our offense. We were struggling to find anybody who could carry the ball after all the injuries we had. To have Peyton going through a contract dispute and basically refusing to play, it was a big distraction. After the Browns did whatever it took to get Peyton Hillis, their new hero on the Madden cover, at the end of the season, they had refused to pay the man and didn't want anything to do with him. Hillis would never play for the Browns again. 2011, two bad years in a row, guys. We're rebuilding here. Eric Mangini's team in 2009, 4-12. In 2010, 5-11, losing records. So 2011, season starts, Eric Mangini is fired. And they draft a new future QB that everybody kind of had faith in out of the University of Texas. And this guy was Colt McCoy. And they also hire a new head coach by the name of Pat Shermer. They always ask me, like, what's it like being a Cleveland Browns fan? That's got to suck, you know? And I'm... So we go into the game. We get murdered. Kind of our thing. You know, we just get crushed. We are lost by, like, 40. And then we all have to come out to the parking lot afterwards. This is the worst part. So it's a cold winter day. And now it's getting dark, and we're just sitting by the car still because you can't get your car out. It's too much traffic. We're doing that sad post-tailgate party. Uh, where everybody's just like sitting around thinking about how everything went wrong and different moves they would have made in life if they could start again and wondering where our ex-girlfriends are and stuff like that, you know? Just like crying and everything. We're all miserable, just waiting for the traffic to clear up. This year in 2011, they end up 4-12. and 12. And the most memorable thing about this season is uh, a comedian and Browns fan, Mike Polk, Named First Energy Statement at the time, Cleveland Browns Stadium, um, where the Browns play a factory of sadness. And this is what still to this day is said almost every Sunday. The Baltimore people are still up there, too, but they're obviously in, in more, uh, you know, jubilant spirits. And they're still giving us the business. They're like, yeah, we told you, you fucking suck. And we're like, fuck you. Because that's all we had left at that point was fuck you. There's nowhere else for us to go. When did you start saying it was a factory of sadness? Oh, I... I think uh, the very first time I watched them play, the name wasn't coined. I used to just call it Shit Factory. But now (laughs) it's Factory of Sadness. It sounds a little bit more PC. Thank you, Mike Polk. It's very tough. I think that, uh, you know, you you allowing it to creep into your mind a little bit. And you guys ask a lot of questions about it. And you ignore it as much as you can. But uh, it's here. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's a tough spot to be in. Um, I'm a winless quarterback in this league. Uh, never won. You know, had, a, had a little bit of success in preseason, but um, it's going to be uh, tough to swallow it, but uh, you can trust that this is probably my most in- important year in my life. Is it a fair statement that Brands fans are extremely pessimistic? It's a very pessimistic fan base. Uh, not a lot of positivity to them. Is that a fair statement to say? Are we pessimistic? Absolutely we're pessimistic. When you have so much, when they snatch a loss out of the jaws of victory, that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to snatch the victory out of jaws of defeat. Well, the Browns do it the other way. So how do you end up staying optimistic? You have to be pessimistic when you know doom is right around the corner. Because that way you get yourself ready. You have to set yourself up to experience the doom. Because when doom comes out of nowhere, you're not ready for it. It can break you in half. Games not competitive right from the start. Nationally, the Browns are a laughing stock. Every part of this team is coming apart. You've had no impact in free agency. You've had no impact in the draft. Absolutely horrible where we stand with this team right now. Because we have people that are coaching that need to be taught how to coach. 
This organization is so far off the path of where it should be, it's not even funny. It's very depressing if you're a Browns fan uh, to watch your team being outclassed on a weekly basis. These are only in Cleveland moments. There are no nicer people than sports fans. There are no better sports fans. They're just aren't. You talk about cursed. You talk about having to endure your team losing in impossible ways. The people of Cleveland do. So I feel bad for them. When you guys coin a phrase, the factory of sadness, where your, your team plays, and then everybody jumps on it and keeps it alive. That says a lot, right? That says a lot to the fucking owner. Get your shit together. <laughs> stop stop putting together, stop putting diarrhea out on the field and get a good team. And the Browns owner at the time is Al Lerner, and he's scared of the fans. Now, one thing that was planned to happen in 2012, former Browns owner, the guy that took the team to the Baltimore Ravens, Art Modell, he did pass away. And so they planned to do a moment of silence at uh, Cleveland Brown Stadium, but the family was too scared of the fans. The Modell family? Yeah. And they're like, let's not do this because we think the fans will react to this very badly. You're totally right. <laughs> so. Boo you, Art Modell, still. So this guy takes his beer can and he throws it up there underhand with all his little chubby might. And he's like, nah. He wasn't even looking. So I'll say this. I, I don't think it was his intent to hit the only woman up there. I really don't. <laughs> right? No. And I don't endorse that. I don't think you should hit women with beers. I have always said that. I'm on record as saying that. But that's exactly what happened. It hit her in her shoulder. She fell immediately to the ground. I assume she died. I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. All I know is when she hit the ground, both camps got completely silent. Up there and down here, I was like, and we sat there in silence for what felt like an eternity. And I'm looking around, I'm like, you know, how we react to this down here is very important going to say a lot about us as a fan base and a city. And then at the same time, everybody down here goes, yeah! And listen, again, I don't endorse that. You shouldn't kill women with beers. But I will say this, we sent a pretty powerful message that day. And here's that message. Oh yeah, you can come into our town. And yeah, you're probably going to win. Historically speaking, your chances are extremely good. But that doesn't mean we won't kill one of your women before you leave. That's what it's like being a Browns fan, just so you know. So in 2012, Madden NFL 12 running back Peyton Hillis, he leaves the Browns and they draft uh, running back Trent Richardson. Very early pick in the draft. For a running back. Yes. And by the way, for a position that is right now, it's not like, you got to understand, in the NFL, back in the 60s, running back was the, probably the most important position because it was all about running. The forward pass wasn't even that big of a deal in the 60s as it was as running the ball was. It was all about ch- uh, clock, eating up the clock. It was all about ball security back in those days. And that's why Jim Brown is this like monumental figure back then. I believe you're going to be asked at some point, to elevate those around you? Do you think you are a guy that can put a franchise, coaches, owner, team, city, LeBron-like, and carry a team? That's what I want to do. That's what I try to do at Oklahoma. I truly believe I did. Yeah, we had talent. I had great support around me, but at the same time, I set the standard and the tone. 
Um, and that's what I want to do in Cleveland as well, whether that's being the best backup possible or starting. I want to be a guy that improves the, our team and makes everybody else better. But when you draft Trent Richardson, like what the Browns did, number one, he was on Alabama, who had all-star players throughout. That's why Alabama players, it's like they're, they're sketchy because it's hard to see them stand out because they have so much unbelievable talent next to them. So it's like that talent also helps them be great. So you have a running back who's got like this all-star offensive line. He's mowing through people in college. Looks good. But you also need that squad to be good. Then they bring him over to Cleveland. They trade up in the draft to draft a running back. And then he ends up being garbage. They, matter of fact, he's so bad. They, they, uh, actually, his rookie season wasn't terrible. But the second season, he was so bad. They're like four games into the season, they traded him. Colt McCoy! Can't get it done. Look, we've seen about 16 to 18 games of him. He started last year, six, eight games. He's played 12 games this year, 10 games, whatever. He is not the answer. He's not going to get it done. We can tell by his weak arm and that Lake Erie win, he's not going to get it done. Hell, even in the summer day, he can't get it done. And they don't really give you much time. And you can at this point because Cleveland is, like you said, a factory of sadness, right? So, Colt McCoy only had about a year and a half, and then they also picked up in this draft another quarterback by the name of Brandon Whedon. And they started Whedon the first game of the season, and he throws four interceptions, zero touchdowns. They lose the game 17-16. The only touchdown that happened was on a defensive play to the Steelers. Throws, intercepted, Brandon Carr! And Carr goes down at the 35. Turnover number five by the Browns. At this point, Al Lerner sells the franchise for $1 billion to Jimmy Haslam. And the Browns end their season 5-11, and and head coach Pat Shermer is fired, and general man- manager, the new general manager that we didn't talk about, Tom Heckart, is fired. It's hard to keep up with all the firings. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so every two seasons, they start over uh, coaching, house personnel, and now they have a new owner. Well, um, you know, I think you have, you know, we have three quarterbacks on our roster this year. And I, first of all, let me say Joe's right, okay? And if you look at all the really good teams in the NFL, what's the common thing they have? And you can look at some teams that this year were really good coming into the year and had their quarterbacks hurt and how they do. Not so well. So quarterback is clearly the key position. I don't think there's anything that compares to it in professional sports in terms of importance to a team. So Joe has been around the game. He's smart. He's exactly right. Okay. I don't think, however, that quarterback was the problem on this team this year. Our quarterback play was okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. We do have the second pick in the draft. Again, is this the coaches and the GM's fault that all the draft picks are bust? Trent Richardson well, I think was non-existence, as you mentioned. Whedon was thrown into the Wolves very early. Well, this is what I think they did. They did the same thing that uh, the Texans did years after the Browns came into the league. They drafted a quarterback number one in, the, in 99 with Tim Couch. Uh, no offensive line, no nothing, and you just threw that kid out there to get destroyed. He gave you everything he could, and he, but you didn't have a team around him. And he's a rookie, okay? So you fractured his confidence. Right away, the team is, is starting off on the wrong foot. Right away, you're starting off on the wrong foot. And then keep on going. And, you know, the whistle didn't blow. You know, you go back and watch it. I'd already spiked the ball. The ref comes in and marks it down. And then they buzz in and say, we're going to go back and review the last play. And we're all just in shock, you know, because we're driving down to win that game. We're on, I think we're on the 20-yard line or 25-yard line, something like that. And, 
And the next thing I know, I'm looking up and there's bottles coming out of the upper deck. I mean, it was it was surreal. So did you did you think this part of you like, yeah, the Cleveland fans? Here, or were you like, I, gotta go I, I felt their frustrations. Trust me, I wanted to throw something too, but um, it was just scary, man. When those bottles are flying all the way out of the upper deck, and it's uh, I mean, it was definitely not safe. You don't draft a quarterback until the same mistakes done with Charlie Fry. Same, the same mistakes, mistakes done with Colt McCoy. Exactly. And, and Brady Quinn. And keep in mind, Brandon Charlie Weedon. Fry, yeah. Colt McCoy. These guys were late round picks. These guys they weren't first or second round picks. Mm-hmm. Okay. These weren't so granted, I mean, a third round pick is still considered high, but it's not. You know what I mean? It's really not. You're because you're pick one hundred something at that point. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why they dropped. And the quarterback, there's such a premium on the quarterback position that if you're drafting a quarterback in the third or the fourth rounds, yeah, sure, you might get a Dak Prescott who wows people. Yeah, sure. There's the, the, the one in a million chance you might draft 199 and get Tom Brady. But how often does that work out? It doesn't. you got to have a vision how you want to develop your football team. And I don't think the Browns ever had that blueprint. When you make bad drafts, when you don't have a, a vision of your how you want to build your football team, this is what you get into. Why they stayed bad for so long is it was constant turnover. Constant turnover. So you have one system in play for a year, maybe two, possibly three. And then you scrap that. Now we're going to go from a 4-3 defense to a 3-4 defense. All right, now get scrap all these defensive players, and we got to get the guys that are going to fit this system. Then a new coach comes in. All right, we're going to go back from the 3-4 to the 4-3. And now you got to scrap that system again. It's like they never, ever, ever had the chance to have any kind of consistency, never had the chance to work on any game plan. He is grabbed as he throws. It's complete to Higgins, and Higgins is still on his feet. He got up because the whistle didn't blow, and he fumbles into the end zone. Amuka Mara picks it up, and he's running around in the end zone, and he better get out. So now with a new owner, their legacy is just losing at yeah. this point as an expansion team. He He's going to be less patient, do you feel? Absolutely less patient. I think when, you, when you're an owner and you're a billionaire like this guy is, right, because he's owner of the Pilot J truck stop company. Uh, so this guy, and he's self-made. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's ma- he made his money. It's not like he came from money. He made his money. This guy knows what he's doing. And when, you're, when you come into a situation like that and you have that much pull and that much clout, all you want to do is not look like an asshole. And the only way you cannot look like an asshole in the NFL is by winning. So every time they're not meeting his expectations, and I'm sure they were high because he paid a billion fucking dollars for a team. I'm sure the expectations weren't crazy high, but it was still like, look, I need you to get at least here. We need to at least look competitive. And for the first few years of Jimmy Haslam owning the team, they weren't even competitive. They just got murdered. There's a codeine test, you know, that he failed in 2013. You couldn't stay off the weed. Now it's it's DWI. I mean, damn. Right. I mean, what is it? What 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 what's next? 2014 season, I was suspended 10 games with the DUI. I needed six games for it to count as fully accrued towards being a restricted free agent the next year. I played five out of the 10 games. Spent 10, got to play the last five. The sixth game into the season, stayed out late. But the thing is, we had to be up in the morning for like a 7:30 team meeting. I didn't wake up until 10 o'clock, 10, 15, coming out of blackout. I'm getting a bunch of texts and calls, you know, from coaches like, where are you at? We're headed to the, the tarmac already. And I'm like, oh shit. So drove up to the tarmac. Um, our general manager at the time, he kind of pulls me to the side, talks to me. He's like, I'm sorry, Josh, but you're not going on this plane. He's watching the plane go off. And it's like, well, fuck it. Let's go home. Let's, let's party. He hired another new coach 
Rob Chudzinski, who, by the way, was the offensive coordinator for Cleveland when they had that 10 and six squad. And, and then he ends up with the same record of four and 12. He had one season. Jimmy Haslam fired him immediately. So they fire him after only one season, which makes no sense. Like, why would you get rid of him after one season? Dude, it's a brand new coach. You have a super young team. You don't have a franchise quarterback. It's, it's like, why would you do that? Some of you have heard me say this before. It's a steep learning curve coming to the NFL. This has been very humbling. It's been a lot harder than we thought. I think we were probably naive when we came into the process. It's one thing to be a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's much different to be the majority owner. Hopefully we've learned a lot um, over the last two or three years. It's certainly been learning the hard way. But I do think it's important to acknowledge that. And then in 2014, the Browns, everybody, the expectations, even though they had losing season after losing season, the expectations were high once again. They hired a new coach, Mike Pettin, and then they also let go of their general manager, Marco Lombardi, and he was replaced by another general manager named Ray Farmer. The commission is up. He's walking towards the podium. The Cleveland Browns select. The Eagles traded, of course, they say right now. With the 22nd pick, the Browns select. Ah, Yeah, they did it! Johnny Manziel doesn't look real happy. Oh, no, he's putting on... Oh, man, he's putting on a fake... Oh, shit. He put on a little fake smile there once he saw the cameras were rolling. But he was like, shit, Cleveland. Wow, mixed emotions at the dog pound party. But not here. I'm happy. At 22 overall... At some point, one of these quarterbacks has to be good, right? 5'11 and three quarters, wears a size 15 shoe. They claim if you got big feet, you got a big dick. If you got a big dick, I think you can play football. That's what I want to see. They decided to go with a draft pick that would put fame and all eyes on Cleveland, and that would be Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Manziel, a.k.a. Johnny Football. Now, I told myself from the beginning that God had a plan for me and it would all work out, and uh, I, I really, truly believe Cleveland was – was where I was supposed to, to end up. And from the top, uh, Mr. Haslam, Mr. Farmer, uh, Coach Loggins, Coach Shanahan, everybody in the organization, just to be here, it feels right. And it feels like where I'm where I'm meant to be. And um, I'm very excited. Dogtown, here we come. What did Johnny Manziel bring to the Browns prior to him actually playing a game there? Again, and it goes back to, it goes back to the race thing, and it pisses me off. Johnny Manziel running around, buying time with his feet, the way he played football, white quarterbacks weren't typically doing that. Now he comes in, oh, God, he, look at this play. You know, and they, and they just they, they wanted to catapult him. Again, this is another situation of a great white hope type of thing that the Browns were fucking betting on, and it blew up in their face. The guy couldn't even stand in the pocket. The police report noted the only visible injuries to Crowley were an abrasion wound to her left forearm, consistent with Manziel's story that he grabbed her to keep her from trying to jump out of the car, which prompted a 911 call from a passerby to police. Listen as Manziel pleads in the background. Oh, baby, please. It appears that the girl might be intoxicated. Oh, he was he wasn't he wasn't a very accurate quarterback. He didn't have the strongest of arms, but you know what? He threw, you know, he pretended to throw money in the air and he threw the money sign up like Mayweather and oh this guy's got so much he's got so much swag. He look how cool he is. Oh, he's hanging with Drake. It's like who gives a shit? He's not winning. He sucks. Uh, word has it that uh, Johnny Manziel was actually in Las Vegas on Saturday night at a popular nightclub on the strip. And then it got into the details that obviously when you first saw them yesterday, 
It sounded a little cuckoo, but uh, again, I've been told by multiple people that he had the wig on, there was a fake mustache involved, uh, he had a hoodie that he was wearing throughout the night, glasses as well. There were parts at the night, uh, during the night at the club where it was later on, obviously, the fake mustache fell off, so it was, uh, it was complete chaos. He was winning when he got. He was winning when he was in college. Yeah, that's, and that's where we're at, right? Fans, the Browns fans seem to be very receptive and happy that he was selected. Most, actually, no, we all weren't. There were, there were guys like, dude, they drafted Johnny Manziel on the same day I proposed to my wife, okay? The day started off beautiful. I went to bed fucking angry. Okay. There's Johnny Manziel, the person, and there's Johnny Manziel, the football player. Johnny Manziel, the person, I think you can root for him again. I found him easy to root for in college. Mm-hmm. He was exciting. He talked off the cuff. People liked to play with him. When the play broke down, that's when he was at his best. He was undersized. Hey, maybe he could be the exception to the rule. Every quarterback has to be the exact same way now, and the mold is Tom Brady, right? And that's the best way to be, but it's boring compared to, say, Joe Namath. When can someone kind of seem to at least break the rules and still be a great quarterback? Not only with his size, but with his attitude, the whole thing. Maybe this could be the guy. Boy, the world will be a more interesting place if he succeeds. But he failed so spectacularly time and time again. It became hard to root for him because it seemed that he gave up on himself. And you know why they drafted him? This is a story. Uh, There was a homeless guy out front of some restaurant, and he recognized Jimmy Haslam, and he told the guy, he's like, hey, draft Johnny Mangel. And that story made its rounds. And, and from what I'm told, Jimmy Haslam was like, that's a sign. That's a sign. And he pushed for them to draft Johnny Manziel. So you took advice from some guy who probably made soup out of his boot, and that's your number one NFL scout, you fucking dick. But I think the... F- fact that this franchise has not done better the last two or three years lies the blame lies squarely with me Um, because ultimately it's the head person who's responsible for everything and we can lay blame on but ultimately it's our job to put the right people in the right position and provide the right resources I think we've done the latter um, but the fact that this franchise is not performing any better and certainly not like its great fans deserve is my fault Okay, and I fully accept that responsibility. Now, in 2014, after the first 11 games, the Browns were 7-4. and four. So they were off to a, a good start that year, and they did record the largest rally in Browns history that year. They were down 28-3 to three against the Titans, um, and they came back and then won the game 29-28. to 28. So there was a lot of just hype in yeah. Cleveland. And when there's hype and people are paying attention, the team seems to be riled up a lot more, you know? So, however, they do end the year seven and nine. They lose the last five games straight. And those are the games that Manziel did play. I like Johnny Manziel a lot. I've had the pleasure of talking to him on several occasions. I actually think he's a good guy. Um, he's just living a privileged lifestyle and he was milking it for all it was. Um, I'm one of those people, however that thinks there needs to be an investigation into the medical profession of this issue with bipolar disorder. I'm not saying that it's not real. Please don't get me wrong. There are people that genuinely and really, really suffer for it. But I do think that a lot of times in society, more often than we're willing to admit, there are some people who were just egotistical, were out of control, were undisciplined, were really feeling themselves. 
And then when their houses, figuratively, figuratively speaking, of course, came crashing down, all of a sudden they're trying to find some kind of explanation to garner the sympathy of the public at large. That's what my concern is here. Johnny Manziel comes from affluence. Do you know why he got in, by the way? Because Ray Farmer was the, the general manager, yes. not the coach. Mm-hmm. The general manager is actually texting the, the offense coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, mm-hmm. saying, put Manziel in. Shanahan was like, no. Brian Hoyer, who was the quarterback at the time, mm-hmm. they're like, he's the guy. He's the one that's playing better. He gets it. Shanahan knew what Manziel was. Man- Manziel wasn't showing up to the team meetings on time. He wasn't, do- he wasn't doing his due diligence for an NFL starting quarterback, let alone, let alone a quarterback that's supposed to bring a franchise that's been awful for so long to bring in the prominence. This guy, Shanahan knew Manziel was a piece of shit. Through no fault of Johnny Menzel, we've heard about bipolar disorder on a lot of occasions. And sometimes we found ourselves looking at people and finding it to be a convenient explanation as to what really happened. Because what you're looking to do is to get back. Now, see, to me, I take the medical conditions that people bring up, like stuff like this bipolar disorder and other things. What I do is this. You know when I take it significantly more seriously, Max? Molly? When you ain't after something, when you're just telling your story, but when you're trying to get back something that you lost or get back something that was taken away from you play. And then the next year, Kyle Shanahan, who, by the way, was the only reason why the Browns won those seven games, because because as an offense coordinator, the guy's a genius. He goes to Atlanta that year. They end up going to the Super Bowl. Then the following year, Kyle Shanahan is the head coach of the 49ers. So even when the Browns have good coordinators, the general manager fucks it up for them. Okay, how we doing? All right, I spoke with um, both Ray and Mike uh, earlier today and let them know that we were going to be making uh, changes with both their positions. These are, and I hope you can appreciate this, uh, really difficult conversations. Um, you all, most of y'all are around enough to know how much time these guys put in, how many hours and the toll, toll it takes on their families, and um, it's not easy. They were both very gracious and very professional. They understand the bottom line business, and you can't lose 18 out of 21 games. That's not acceptable. Um, we had good professional conversations, and um, they're good men and good people, and I appreciate what they did for the Cleveland Browns. And what is that, though? Is it everybody takes responsibility for losing and then the owner takes responsibility, the general manager takes responsibility? Why are they undercutting their staff that they hire to do a job? Out of curiosity, is this is just a losing culture, therefore everybody is trying to get involved and mess with the team? I think when you have lost for that long, and I really do think that the owner, Jimmy Haslam, wants it's, – it's, there's a fine line between an owner who buys a team to make money like the Lions. Mm-hmm. Like the Lions do this. They, they're all, they don't care about winning. You could tell that organization. It's a joke what they do. There is something about Jimmy Haslam where it's like he really wants him to win. He really wants him to win. I know that because his name is all over it. He's, he, as far as owners are concerned, like he's pretty high profile. You but know? he's making all these rookie mistakes. He's not making, trusting That's people. what it is. But again, he's a businessman. Mm-hmm. He is a businessman who's, who's self-made. Why the fuck would you trust anyone else when you've already done it yourself? And keep in mind, when you're, when you're a businessman and you're that arrogant – 
and you believe that you know more than the people that you are hiring that are supposed to know more, well, then now you're shooting yourself with the foot. You have to trust someone. You have to trust that person with the know-how to take your baby and groom it and make it into something that is palatable for fans. I found myself around the city of Gainesville just wandering, looking for a drug dealer, looking for people on the street corner, whatever smelled like weed, you know, somebody that looked like they had something, asking random people, knocking on, like, smoke shop storefronts, seeing where I could find some stuff at. I was just looking for something, some type of relief. I was walking down 4 o'clock Boulevard around, like, 11.30 or something at nighttime. And that night in particular, I couldn't find anybody with drugs. And I just began to have a flashback and remember all the negative things that happened in my life that transpired, you know, like what led up to this point? How did it get this bad? Like, it's so dark out here. I'm all alone. What the hell am I doing? I was, I, was, I was scared. I was scared for my life. In 2015, the news was on Manziel still. He was still a prospect, even though he was not performing on the field. But the news was now not about his talent, but was it about his, he had a substance abuse issue. He had domestic violence charges. And then also wide receiver Josh Gordon, also a very talented player. Josh Gordon, there's another one. We forgot to even bring that up. When he got drafted, he got drafted during the Pat Shermer era mm-hmm. with Brandon Whedon as his quarterback. I mean, and he missed two games of his rookie year because he got busted with weed over at uh at baylor and then he ended up getting drafted in the supplemental draft cleveland gave up a second round pick they took a huge chance on him turned out to be like a superstar wide receiver because it was like first it was his rookie year where you're like okay this guy's got something and then the second season again had to miss four games because of substance abuse issues and now he has tested positive again for what could be at least the third time that we know of. I got suspended for the entire year, and after that, it kind of all came in from all angles, different fans, everybody kind of was like, oh, you know, you're a piece of shit, you know, you're a drug addict, you're a junkie, whatever, the, you know, you're alcoholic. So at that point, I was like, you know what, if y'all want me to be this guy so bad, that's just what I'm going to be. What's that saying, I haven't. I haven't. I've never seen her since she's been born. I've always been away. I've got FaceTime. Here she is right here. As soon as I get out of rehab, I'll be back in Ohio and um, looking to be a father, man. But then he ended up going for like 1,600 yards. I mean, it was crazy the amount of yardage he put up while missing games. He didn't even play the beginning of the season, and he put up these numbers. Still, at the end of that season, got busted with weed. Now he's got to miss a whole season of football. He's got to miss a whole season. And then same thing happened where finally he comes back and – we're, we're still playing this game with him. With Josh Gordon, yeah, and he's no longer on the Browns. He's a Patriot now. Honestly, the whole experience has been humbling, and it's humbling every day, brutally, <laughs> brutally so. A dose of reality for sure, man. When you're, you know, when you're put in a position to be constricted, you know, socially, financially, just all resources exhausted, the ego is diminished to... <laughs> just about nil. The only thing I know I have um, to go off of, but you know, is my faith, 
family and my ability with football. Talent is key in athletics, but even more important is the mental state of athletes, right? So their confidence and their pressure, and they're growing up as young adults, so people have to take that into account. Does Cleveland have something to blame for their mental weakness of the season? Is losing culturally going to make you not care or focus as much because of that culture? I believe so, yes. I think when you lose so much, when you lose so much, you end up talking yourself into believing, like, why get your hopes up? Why try and win when you already know what the outcome is going to be? And when that ends up being your mentality, because just like we've brought up, the Browns have been a joke league-wide. But then you talk to people that have played for the Browns, and then they go play for another squad, and they start winning a few games. They're like, it's so much different. They're like, you don't get it. Ah, Mark, and we're all so frustrated. So what do you think about it? The Browns' performance today? Sound off on Cleveland19.com and vote for a QB for next week on Twitter. And in 2015, guys, the Browns, this is going to start their worst seasons as a team ever. In 2015, they go 3-13. and Johnny Manziel, this franchise quarterback, this guy that made people pay attention, uh, he was let go. Head coach Mike Pettin, he was let go. GM Ray Farmer, he was let go. So we are starting over completely once again. 3-13 and 13 at the time, one of the worst records they've ever had. Just the second worst. 2-14 and uh, 14 was their first season as an expansion team. From a, a, a small point of view right now, I believe that I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about this game and how difficult it is to win. Um, I think I've become a better leader. Um, I think I've become a better man of faith. I think I've become a better quarterback overall. And, and that was the ultimate goal this year. Um, uh, it, it would have been naive of me at the beginning of the year to say that we're going to go out and, and go 16-0 and in the regular season and go on and win the Super Bowl. Um, that, that was not our goal. Our goal was uh, to, to develop me into a better man, develop me into a better teammate, and to become a better quarterback. And I think I did so this year. Does the staff have enough time to do anything positive in Cleveland? Is Jimmy Haslam too quick to just yes. call it? That's and, always and been start everything over. So him as an owner has actually made this team because of his impatience, his not understanding of football, become much worse. Well, this is what I think happened because when Jim, before Jimmy Haslam became owner of the Browns, he was actually part owner of a, of the Steelers. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't the majority owner, but you know he had he had an ownership in the Steelers, and then he sold that, and then he bought the Browns. When you're coming from an organization like the Steelers, who are constantly winning since '99, they had two t- uh, two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl victories, had one loss, so they've been to the Super Bowl three times. Since 99, Jimmy Haslam has been following that squad the entire time. So when you come there and you watch a functioning franchise, one that's not just functioning, but a high level functioning franchise, and you go over here to the Browns, which is like no functionality whatsoever. No one knows what the hell they're doing. And then, and then on top of that, you are impatient and you think that you're just going to be able to turn this shit around. No. Is that how it works? Once we hire a head coach, then we'll go after, go out and see and hire a GM. And let me talk about why we're going to do this. Um, effective today, or tonight, I should say, Sashi Brown will be our executive vice president of football operations. And Sashi, I believe, is the right person to do this for the Cleveland Browns. He's been in the NFL for 10-plus years, um, is, has been involved in the cap, um, has been heavily involved in our football administration and operations for the last year or two. He's very smart, very organized, 
good at systems and processes, and an outstanding team player. He's also very strategic, and so we will use those skills, and working for him will be a GM whose primary job will be talent acquisition. The next move he makes in 2016, he hires Paul De Podesta as chief strategy officer. Now, he's famous and he's familiar for people for the money ball thing in baseball with the Oakland A's. So he was famous for the money ball. They did a film about that. Analytics. The analytics that worked for the Oakland A's back in the day. So Oakland A's, by the way, baseball team. Baseball team. If you look at the Cleveland Browns, and this is prior to our arrival and during the time period we've been involved with the team, we have not been good at talent acquisition. And if you look at the teams that are successful, they're very good at talent acquisition. That's something that we have to get right. And we think this setup with somebody who, with a background in systems processes, analytics, and very strategic, married up with a football person, if you will, who is very good at talent evaluation will hopefully put us in a position to win a lot more games than we have in the past. This is a very desperate move. Now, people in NFL have never used anybody like this before, correct? Yes, because in the NFL, it's so much harder than baseball because, look, baseball is a very individual sport. You can be an excellent baseball player on a horrible team and everyone's still going to know you're an excellent baseball player. If you're an excellent football player on a horrible team, not that many people know. Not that many people know unless they're, they're the scouts that are like watching video constantly. But if you get four sacks in a game and your team hasn't even won a, a game all season long, well, yeah, sure, the sacks are going to show up in the stats column, but still, though, people are going to go, oh, well, you know, he doesn't have what it takes to turn a team around. I mean, they're always, they're always nitpicking at you in the NFL. All right, it's time for football season. It's time for football season. Well, I'm sure RG3 will get injured eventually, but it'll be fun to watch him for a few weeks. Wow, that was fast. Maybe it's a blessing. With RG3 out, we can finally see if Josh McCown is the... Wow, that was fast. Cody Kessler... Wow, that was fast. I hate losing to the Ravens. That's our team! You stole our team! Yep. Just as depressing with the sound off. Every move this franchise makes backfires, and now we have a bunch of money ballers from pro baseball running the rebuild. Then I'd be excited for the draft picks, except that this is the team that drafted Couch, Whedon, and Manziel, so I'm sure we'll screw it up somehow. You just threw a double interception? I didn't even know that was a thing. And so he hires a new head coach by the name of Hugh Jackson, and they sign uh, quarterback RG3, uh, Robert G- Griffin III. So... The Browns, they lose their first 14 games this year. They're 0-14, and on Christmas Eve, beat the Chargers 20-17 to on a missed field goal attempt by the Chargers to give us one win that year, and the season ended up 1-15, the worst record in franchise history, almost a winless season, which has only happened once in the NFL. Kaiser. Intercepted by A.J. Boye. The throw sailed on Kaiser right into A.J. Boye's hands for his fourth interception of the season. Kaiser in the shotgun. First down and ten. Ngakwe coming. Kaiser doesn't see him. Ball is out. It's loose. Fowler down there. Ball is still fluttering in the end zone. Smith falls on it. Touchdown, Jacksonville. Nobody was fired. Why do you think that is? I think nobody was fired because 
they were probably like, Jimmy, you have to be patient. You have to be patient. And that year, too, when Deep Podesta came in, they hired another guy named Sashi Brown. Sashi Brown, he, it, Sashi Brown and Deep Podesta, they both shared the general manager duties. And, uh, and what was going on was they were just going by numbers. Well, again, some of these times when you have excellent teammates around you, that makes your numbers look good. So they're drafting guys based solely on numbers, based solely on you know stats from the combine or whatever. They're not, they're not looking at what really makes a football player a great football player. So what they're doing is, and the reason why you don't fire a, t- a squad like that is, again, in every squad, especially if you, you're hiring a coach to take over a bad team, that coach has to get the players that he needs. And if you don't have a quarterback, forget it. Forget it. All I want this year is like five or six wins, honestly. A lot of people are wanting the Browns to go to the playoffs this year, but for me, I just just get a couple wins. For some reason, I think this is one of those situations where it's like the past 20 years have been horrible, but it's darkest before the dawn. And with a 1-15 season, the 2017 season, Coach Hugh Jackson returns. Their new quarterback is a, a rookie by the name of Deshaun Kaiser. Kaiser is thrown in as a starter with no NFL experience. Second round pick out of Notre Dame. And I know nobody out there thought this would happen, but the Browns go 0-16. Oh, I thought it would happen. They have an official win. That was sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) They have an official winless season. The second team to ever do that, have a perfect winless season. So the route is going to start on Al Lerner Drive right in front of the stadium, in front of First Energy Stadium, and it's going to go around the stadium. Forms a big loop, a big zero for the number of wins we had this year. We're an 0-16 football team, I get it. I think that the Browns ownership and the Browns organization as a whole is hearing you anyway. I understand where our fans are. Hopefully in time that will change. Go out, have some fun, let the team management know, hey, this sucks, we're tired of it, we're tired of spending money, and let's change things around. You know what? Let's reawake this sleeping giant to Cleveland Browns. Once again, nobody is fired, and the fans of Cleveland decide to throw a parade for their team going 0-16. It has been a whirlwind of a year for the Cleveland Browns. Plenty of heartache, struggles, and frustration from fans, players, and, of course, the front office staff. Somewhere in the middle of it all, a parade. We don't know how that happened. Some call it a protest. It was created. And after 16 orange and brown losses, that parade became a reality this afternoon. As we just showed you, the parade was met with some frustration and some excitement, much like a regular brown season. Some, including players themselves today, called it insensitive, even telling supporters they weren't real fans. Now those in favor of the parade say that it is a message to the front office that things need to change. We will show you the views from all sides of this today. Now, what does that say if you're a player on the Browns or from another team that you see the fans will throw a parade cheering one of the lowest points in in history? Deshaun Kaiser went on record saying, I'm a winless quarterback and my heart is broken and I don't know what to do. And the guy's broken down and then the fans are throwing a parade out there. What does that say? And who was that parade really for? I don't think it was to blast the players. I think that when the fans did that, which I don't necessarily agree with it or disagree with it. It's kind of a a medium point because as a fan myself, how do you tell management, get your shit together? other than embarrassing them like that. Well, all eyes are on Cleveland today because of the perfect season parade. Zero and 16 is what the Cleveland Browns went, and now the fans want change. Who let the dogs out? 
It was one degree when I woke up and came here, which is one degree more than wins we had this season. Fans aren't going to aren't going to put up with it anymore. Despite frigid temperatures, thousands of brownies gathered outside of First Energy Stadium for the first ever perfect season parade. A little bit of cold, um, disappointment over and over and over again. Uh, tired of losing, especially 0-16. The parade lasted 45 minutes and covered all fan aspects, from the dog pound to the girl with the crown. Being the queen of it is kind of, I'm still not sure how I feel about it. It's kind of crazy that it's happening. Do you think, do you think that parade embarrassed the management more than anything? Absolutely, because not only are we upset at the players and the coach, except, but we're more upset at the fact that we haven't, that we've sucked for almost 20 straight years. I mean, come on. And if you're a player on that squad, look, I understand that you gave it your all. We appreciate that. I do as a fan of the team. You know, thank you for leaving, leaving it all out on the field out there. But you still needed to be you still need to get your shit together, too, and understand that losing is unacceptable now. The Browns went zero and 16 this season, leaving the fans so unhappy that they threw a pity parade. These are the true Browns fans. Yeah, but without protest, nothing ever changes. But not everyone was excited about the perfect season parade. For every three fans with a smile, there was one with a frown. But I don't think this is getting the Hamsons attention. I think this is just another black eye for Cleveland. To me, it's a stupid parade. From both sides, there was a lot of barking back and forth, but they seem to agree that there's always next year. We're not losers. We're just patient winners. Okay, we're okay with waiting our turn. The fans, the fans are tired of it. We're tired of it. The shit is too expensive. T-shirts are like 35, 40 bucks now. And I got to pay $40 for a T-shirt just to watch you embarrass me? So Browns ticket holders, fans, before this parade, four wins, 44 losses in three seasons. Because, and I, the other guy showed it too. I don't think I'm being a jerk. What is it? I have a general rule. Don't like my quarterback showing up on police video. Don't love this. That's Ex- what you said I was undraftable for. So let's watch it. That's why I don't like yeah. this. I, this doesn't do it for me. So yeah. w- what are you doing? I was not in trouble. Then the state of mind that I was in, which shouldn't have happened, um, they started asking me questions. I watched somebody get just absolutely socked right in the face. Okay. And so I was answering questions. So you it. were in an area where something bad happened. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I was never directly in trouble, but then when they were asking me questions, uh, for some reason, I thought I was in trouble and uh, decided to try. I wouldn't say it's a runaway because that's not real good speed right there. Um, but when you look at that now, are you embarrassed? Are you mad? Absolutely. There is so much regret about that because if I didn't run, there would have been nobody cares. No, ever. You wouldn't have said that I was undraftable and then nobody would probably have been questioning me about being, uh, the next dropout of football. So in Hugh Jackson's very first year, the Browns in a sour kept moving. This is, this is an analytical move. They got rid of every high contracted player. So every player that, kind of proved their medal out on the field and then earned an NFL contract, they got rid of them. They got rid of them. And then they just got all these super, super affordable players just to kind of fill in for the time being. And they flat out said this is going to be a long-term build. Well, a long-term build is code for get ready. Your team's going to eat shit for a couple of years. By the way, Cleveland, and this is not a cheap shot. There's been a lot of dysfunction. They've drafted a lot of dudes, had a lot of GMs, and a lot of coaches. You came from a gold star program that has been nothing but brilliance. Bob Stoops, same president, same coach. 
It is a gold star restaurant. It is a five star four seasons. Now you move into a realistically dysfunctional organization. No. Are you concerned at all about that? I have no concerns about it being dysfunctional because it's not. I've watched the way Elliot Wolf and John Dorsey interact with everybody, our coaches, and in the Haslam family. There's, it's not dysfunctional at all. And until you step foot in that building, you can have whatever opinion you want. We know what we have in there, and that's all that matters. We're going to stay true to that, and we're going to go to work. So after the winless season, they do fire general manager Sashi Brown, and they bring in new general manager John Dorsey. However, Hugh Jackson still stays head coach. And here's the thing with John Dorsey. He turned around other squads, too. Like, he's the one that turned around Kansas City. He, you know, so, so he knows how to turn around teams that have been bad for a while. Because he knows. He understands what it takes. He understands that it takes patience. So in 2018, they make a, at the time, questionable draft choice with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, number one overall in the draft. The 2018 NFL draft, the Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. You've got to be fucking kidding me! Oh! Oh, it fucking hurts. What? Forbidden poop. I can't even fucking talk. At fucking one overall? No one's gonna fucking take him. He's not even the best quarterback in fucking class. And the reason why this was questionable is because in college football, Baker Mayfield holds the record for quarterback rating. I mean, he is in college. He's been he was unbelievable. And he was a walk on on two different squads. He was a walk on at Texas Tech. And they, they told him uh, he got injured and then he took the starting job away from him. And then he's like, all right, well, fuck you. I'm going to go over to Oklahoma. And he walked on at Oklahoma, gained the starting job over there. And then just went on and built his uh, and built his legacy at Oklahoma. The best feeling, it's my birthday, best birthday present ever, Baker Mayfield. I'm going to name my next baby after you, baby. The thing is, is Baker Mayfield was undersized. He's, he's under 6'1", and in the NFL, they're always saying, this is what scouts say, they always say you got to be at least 6'3", to play quarterback in the NFL to see over the top of some of these defenders. They didn't take into consideration, you know, what el- the other intangibles that he had. So... When you looked at all the other quarterbacks that were on the table for the Browns, these are guys that have the size, they have the arm strength, they have the pedigree, and we still went with Baker Mayfield overall. And I'll be the first one to say that when we drafted him, I was pissed because I saw Johnny Manziel all over again. Heading up to the draft, leading into the draft, how did you feel about the Johnny Manziel comparisons? (laughs) Uh, Definitely not my favorite. Mm -hmm. And at first, I got a little more frustrated with it. Um, and then I realized I don't really care what other people think. If they haven't spent the time around me to realize that we're two different people, then that's their own fault. And so in reality, I knew it would take care of itself, and that's why I was excited about the draft process. You get to actually sit down and meet with teams, and they get to see who you are. They talk to everybody that you've been around. So uh, I knew it would take care of itself. But you can – Okay, granted, you're two different people, but you can see some of the similarities. Oh, yeah. The the alcohol-related arrest, the gestures, he with the money sign, Mm -hmm. you with the crotch grab, the flag flag plant. So you can see why people would say this. Mm -hmm. Both of you guys are undersized. Mobility from the Mm -hmm. pocket. 
Heisman Trophy had a signature game. Yeah. He went to Alabama, did Alabama in. That was his Heisman moment. Yep. You going to Ohio State, the horseshoe, planting the flag, that's your Heisman moment. So you can see why people are like, well, okay, hold on now. Are there are similarities. I'm not arguing with okay. that. They're the same size, but the highlights that you would see in college is you would see Baker Mayfield running around making plays from broken plays, and that's what I thought, and that's all Johnny Manziel did. But sometimes 70% of the game is mental. Yes. The mental state of Johnny Manziel, he could not even work at a footlocker. Baker Mayfield is mentally tough. Super. He understands what he needs to do on his mindset, and he also understands the expectations but is not overwhelmed by that. What about your teammates? Did you watch the rest of the game? I watched the whole game. You did? So you saw me celebrate with my teammates like the three touchdowns before that too? I don't like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. You pulled the one clip of me running right there to our fans and people that traveled well to that game, first of all. And then you didn't show the rest of the clip of me going to our sideline? No, no, no. You go, well, you no, have to go to the sideline. You You're not going to go to you a didn't. hospital. Well, where are you going to go after the touchdown? You're not going to go. Well, you're after- acting like I just ran away from everybody. Well, you did, but then you came back and circled to the sideline. This is a, what is it, a five-second clip of you showing me, and then I'm off the screen right there? I'd like you to be with your teammates. Uh, watch the rest of the game. I was. All right. Oh, I know you went back to the sideline. No, no, no. I'm, go Watch the other touchdowns. I got very excited on that one. So you think my accusation that this, doesn't, this isn't the fact that I feel like you're going for the fact that I'm not a team guy. I'm selfish. Is that what you're shooting at right here or what? Um, and on top of that, too, John Dorsey said this. He says, when they drafted Baker Mayfield, and again, dude, a lot of people were pissed. When they drafted Baker Mayfield, uh, they said that he is not going to start the season. He has to learn to play quarterback in the NFL. It's not always the same. So what I saw previously, and that to me was like, okay, I think we finally got it. I think we finally got it. Because as much as I would love to see the first overall pick play for my team, you know, the fact that you're going, okay, I'm tired of watch, I'm tired of throwing out these young kids to the wolves and watching them getting destroyed. Meanwhile, when you look at all the best quarterbacks in the NFL, the best quarterbacks in the NFL, even in this day and age, this year right now, Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and right now Pat Mahomes, all of them, every single one of them sat on the bench and they watched players and they watched, they watched, they watched other quarterbacks go out there and make, them, make the right decisions and make the wrong decisions and they took note of it. So when their opportunity came, they were able to capitalize. That's never happened in Cleveland history. I don't even care about Bud Light, refrigerators, the Browns won! Yeah, baby! It was insane. This was actually my very first Browns game. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, but I'm converted now and forever. And yep. Wild card! The Baker Browns. Mayfield! The Baker Mayfield is the truth! Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. I've been around this world a long time. And we call this Dilly Dilly. Never has. And this year it, it hasn't either because after three games, Tyrod Taylor did get hurt. So Baker Mayfield did come in there and he won not the first game, but also the second game for Cleveland. So he's already got two wins. So as much as this story sounds like a sad story, in actuality, even though we're telling it a little early, it looks like a very bright spot and that this legacy behind the Cleveland Browns will end and break Baker Mayfield will be a quarterback that will be remembered as fondly maybe as Bernie Kosar. Am I allowed to say that? It's, it's, it, the, the, Am I, I allowed to say that? I mean, he got the crowd into the game. Uh, he was throwing dives. Hey, let's go, baby! I don't even, I can't even describe it. The first win in how long? 
They were waiting on us to get here. Let's go, Brian. Let's go. The idea that Cleveland could have a potential franchise-winning quarterback is is so alien to me. I still don't know if I believe it. I keep waiting for like one of their planes to, 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 to crash on the way to their next game because it's like I you, you just as a Browns fan you're like is is it okay? Can we can we can we be happy now? Are we allowed to? You know, and that's basically what you're watching the whole time. But with Baker Mayfield in there, and again, they drafted another cornerback, uh, Denzel Ward, who's played excellent. And they also have other rookies out of that squad that are playing excellent. But another thing that they did, they got veterans. So you have veterans that are teaching these younger guys how to play in the NFL. And they're being patient. That's the whole deal. You have to be patient. Are you fucking serious? Let's go, baby! We're going to the Super Bowl, Cleveland. Baker Mayfield's going to casino because his hand is hot, baby. Are Cleveland Browns fans now optimists? Yes. With Baker Mayfield in there, again, I haven't seen a quarterback since Tim Couch. And again, that was back in 1999, and he had a horrible squad. So I haven't seen a Tim. I haven't seen a quarterback with the kind of talent that Baker Mayfield has play for Cleveland ever. I don't think I've ever. Even Brittany Kozar didn't have the talent that Baker Mayfield has. I mean, this guy's got talent through the roof. He's extremely accurate. And again, it's just watching this guy, watching, and there, there's all these reports about just people gravitating towards him, and that's why they drafted him. Let's bring him on, Baker Mayfield. Look at this. He's got a. He's got a support group. Oh, I got something for you. Quarters by you, right? Undraftable. That is great. Yeah. By the way, do I get one of those? Uh, I think we left something in your dressing room. <laughs> yeah. It's because you needed to get this guy who is a winner, who comes in with the mentality of I win. And if you don't come here to fucking win, you could beat it. And that that's everything I get from Baker. That's everything I get from him. The way if you see videos of the way he gets his players together and stuff, this guy's 23 years old. And he's talking to other multimillionaires like, all right, I'm the boss. Shut the fuck up. I'm in charge. They have needed that for a long, long time. And if you can get a player like that, that people can galvanize to, then the sky is the limit. My co-host Brandon Goochon on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch, and Jocelyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Rise to Offend, and on Instagram at Rise to Offend Official. And make sure to listen to us every Monday on the Metal Sucks Podcast on Metal Sucks. Net. Email us comments, questions, errors we may have made, or any figure you would like us to cover. Rise to offend at gmail.com. Follow and support the Cleveland Browns and quarterback Baker Mayfield. Come join the dog pound and watch as this franchise turns into true contenders and the legacy changes this year. Thank you all so much for the reviews on iTunes. These five-star reviews are helping this show grow. I want to send out a personal shout-out to Tina for her review this week and the great email she wrote us about the Peter Steele episode. Thank you so much, Tina. It means the world to all of us. That's all we can ask for you guys is those simple five-star reviews. And until next week, repeat offenders, RTO Podcast, signing off.